I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. Sheep farms around here have lambed even beginning in February. Right. Yeah. And boy, I don't know if there's anything cuter than a little (laughs) lamb. Now, as a beef farmer... I happen to love little calves, but sure. for some people, they're kind of big, <laughs> so, yep. Yep. so they're in love with the, the lambs, the little goats, uh, baby chicks, mm-hmm. and certainly that's one of the things that is going to attract people to Govin's Farm in Menominee starting next weekend, because John Govin, who's on the line with us this morning, operates Govin's Farms with his wife, Julie, and they open up their lambing barn next week how are you john i'm doing well uh as a farmer it's pretty hard not to be happy with weather like this man you're not kidding you're not kidding you know uh john you and i have talked an awful lot about agritourism because we are both on the board of the wisconsin agricultural tourism association you're the vice president and certainly you have a much longer and deeper history into agritourism than I'm just now kind of getting into the edges on. John, tell us a little bit about your farm. Uh, Are you from a farming family? Uh, Absolutely, I'm from a farming family. The farm that I grew up on was homesteaded in 1854. We're no longer on that farm. My wife and I purchased our own farm when we got married in 1989. Um, We dairy farmed. I, I took two tries at dairy farming. The second time I quit dairy farming, my wife told me I had to sell the milking equipment out of the barn mm. to make sure it wouldn't happen again. Uh, but the, far, the farm currently now, we farm about 200 acres, which includes a six-acre strawberry patch. Uh, this lambing barn event that we host in the spring grew out of us running about 200 ewes and some goats. And then in the fall, we operate a, a, a real typical fall corn maze farm with a pumpkin patch and wagon ride and a, a corn maze. <clears throat> well, be, well, before we get into the particulars of, of your lambing barn and the season that's coming up right up, um, what got you into agritourism? I mean, how did you get started in that? Uh, we had a mortgage payment to make. <laughs> I get that. We, we had a mortgage payment to make. The milk check was gone. Uh, we had this flock of sheep, and there was actually a man named Ray Antonevich who did a similar event south of Madison. Uh, my wife took one look at what he was doing and immediately said, we can do this here. My wife has a hospitality background, uh, went to University of Wisconsin-Stout mm. in hospitality management. <clears throat> so it, it was a real good opportunity for her to apply her skills to our farm. Boy, that sounds like a, a a pairing of skills that was kind of made in heaven, huh? Oh, it's an excellent pairing of skills. <clears throat> All right. So starting next weekend and running, uh, I guess, on the weekends until April 10th and 11th, you've got 
a bar, a lambing barn and baby animals on display. Can you tell us a little bit about the building first, so that we can understand what this might look like? Uh, it's a it's a very from the outside. It's a very typical vintage Wisconsin barn. The first portion was built in nineteen. You know, the 19-teens, and then like most farms, there's an expansion to the east end, and then there was an expansion to the north end, and the last expansion was a lean-to off the north side. It's very typical of 90% of the barns in the state of Wisconsin. Once you come inside, we've got it set up for our sheep. <clears throat> we also get 200 baby chicks every week, so kids and adults alike have an opportunity to hold a baby chick. We purchase sows from a large hog farm in southern Wisconsin. Uh, it works out really well because all the sows, they know when they were bred. They ultrasound them so that they know that they're pregnant. So we buy a pig that will farrow every week. <clears throat> so people are going to have an opportunity to pet a baby pig and learn a, bit, learn a little bit about pork agriculture. Um, of course, the stars are at the east end of the barn. That's where the sheep and the goats are. And during that time, we expect a lamb or kid in about 150 mothers in that over that four-week period. <clears throat> Man, that is busy. So you you must have a number of staff that you have to bring on to help with this uh, kind of month-long activity. Uh, we hire between 25 and 30 people for this month. Uh, when we're open, there's going to be typically around 14 people working in the barn that'll help you hold lambs, help you hold any animals. Um, answer questions as best they can. I don't, I don't, I got the best job in the world. I'm actually part of the exhibit <laughs> because I'm the sheep. <laughs> well, you don't laugh at that. Everybody does. I am part of the exhibit because I am just doing my daily, my daily farm duties, you know, assisting with deliveries. I get to answer questions while we're open um, and go about my chores that need to go on during the day. Okay, so I'm there. I'm, let's say, let's say I was a, a young family with a couple of kids. Is this a really kid-friendly kind of thing? I mean, with, with animals that they can hold? If it, our motto is, if it fits in your lap, we will help you hold it. <laughs> Good. So it is a wonderful experience for kids of all ages. One of my favorite stories uh, came a few years ago when I had a, a grandmother aged woman, maybe even a great great grandmother aged woman that came up and tugged on my arm and said <clears throat> he'd like to hold a pig but he's afraid to ask yeah. and I turned around and expected to see a grandson or a great grandson and it was not, it was her 80 something husband <laughs> who was afraid to ask but had never held a hog, so this is this is for people of all ages. Uh, a lot of college kids come in the afternoon on a date. Ah. Well, that's pretty anybody, neat. You know what, Sylvia? Anybody that go, likes to go to the zoo but wants to learn about agriculture from a functioning farm mm -hmm. is a great guest to have at our farm. Wow. Now, where's your farm located, John? We are just east of Menominee, right an easy drive we're right off of interstate 94 at exit 45 boy that's a big plus um if you're from this area you can hear the sound <clears> of my <throat> voice um 
uh, this is a great drive because the roads are really, really good to get to John's farm. And this, how, so how long does it take to get through the barn? I mean, what, what other kinds of things could people see while they're there? Um, I would say that our average guest stays between two and four hours. It's not just the barn. We've got, we've got a few play area items set up outside. We've got a kitchen that's open in our farm shop where you can grab a meal if you'd like. We've got our, our kettle corn, which I've been told is the best kettle corn you can buy. Mm. We've also bought a donut machine this year that, that we're really excited about because we made a batch of donuts last week and they were just out of this world. They're just, oh, and they're fresh. They're so good. <laughs> Talk about farm fresh. So, John, what kind of sheep do you have? Uh, we have crossbred sheep. We don't have any purebreds. Uh, we're also transitioning right now to hair sheep because the wool market in this part of the country is not what it used to be. I, and we're transitioning to hair sheep because hair sheep shed. So that eliminates the need for us to shear once a year. Boy, that's got to be a big savings. It, you know, it is. I think we've had sheep for over 20 years, and I don't remember a time that we sold wool enough money to cover the expense of hiring the man to shear them boy that is often the case in many you know all across the united states where um we're so linked in with international markets that really have an impact on our local <coughs> business sometimes you don't realize that those things kind of things impinge on even your local farmer's ability to make revenue i was going to ask you you said you're transitioning to, to hair sheep do you do that by buying rams, or do you buy different sheep? We we have done both. We are we bought a core group of hair sheep to use as the females. So we're actually lambing most of them in January, and then the group that's coming in in March and April is our old wool breed until we get the transition made. Mm. And are you, are you, as far as the hair breeds go, is it a Katahdin, or what are you using? They are part Katahdin. They're part Katahdin, part Romanoff, and the other third is uh, Dorper. Ah. <clears throat> so these are uh, kind of a, a taller standing sheep? Uh, they're, you know, they're actually not as large as the wool sheep we've had in the past, but they do, they, they do look different. Yeah, yeah. So will the hair sheep then uh, be used for your meat market for your lamb? They will be. Currently, we're still using our our wool sheep. Mm -hmm. our, uh, and actually, we didn't, I shouldn't call them wool sheep. They're wool sheep, but we always bred for meat and the wool was secondary. Got it. So when it comes to preparing for this kind of an event, what's the work that goes into the, the weeks beforehand? Um, I've always said that we get the barn state fair clean for the mm. beginning, and we try to keep it county fair clean towards the end. So to start our year out, the barn is cleaned entirely down to hand scraping the concrete and pressure washing, and there's a new coat of paint applied to it every year on the inside. There's probably 150 informational signs that go up along the walls so customers can read while they're here if they don't have a chance to talk to me and ask questions 
most of the questions that we can think of have been answered in, in print mm-hmm. around the barn. Um, <clears throat> it takes a it takes a staff a two or three about ten days to get the barn cleaned out and to get everything ready. Man, that is a massive job, Dave Corbett. You you've been in farming for I don't know three or four decades. Mm-hmm. When you hear that, what do you think? <laughs> it's more work than I'd care to tackle. <laughs> but uh, now, did it? Okay, okay. Let's let's take it from my perspective. When I sold my dairy cows, we rotationally grazed, and I milked 114 cows without any full-time help. Oh, my. So I think what I do now is a breeze <laughs> compared to the grind of dairy farming. Now, did it, did it take much to transition from uh, the barn? Did it take much to get it for what you're using it now? Oh, certainly, and that's still evolving. When we started this event 16 years ago, the barn steel was still in the barn. The gutters were just filled with crushed rock. Um and I think for the tour, first two or three years we hosted the, the event, it was still set up as a dairy barn. And now it's been remodeled and concrete has been removed and re-poured and posts have been moved. Even the main beams in the barn have been moved, you know, to accommodate getting equipment in and out and to have a better, a better way to house the animals and the people that come through the barn. I mean, I have, I have to be able to accommodate for large crowds in my barn as well as the sheep. Wow. You know, when you think about something like this, this type of agritourism on the scale at which you do it, John, I mean, you've already talked about some of the pre-work that happens, you know, weeks in advance uh, of the event itself. But what about the, uh, the, the area outside of the buildings, you know, the parking and things like that? What kinds of uh, thoughts came into mind as you were preparing those? Well, parking is a real interesting thing here because, you know, this time of year, and we started at this time of year because that's when our sheep were having babies anyway, and we've always stayed with these dates. I think <clears throat> by the time we open, our our sod parking lot is going to be firm enough that we're probably going to be able to park in. Mm-hmm. Some years when we open up, we have to park on the town road in front of the farm for the entire season. Uh, you know, March March and early April are pretty un- unpredictable. It may be 70 degrees and we may get a foot of snow. And we've just, we've got to be able to adapt to, to ever-changing conditions. If we have to park on the road, this will be our second year of having a, a small bus. We contract with the, you know, the busing company from the Menominee School District that comes out and acts as a shuttle service to get people into the yard if we have to park on the road. Mm. So we're always, it's always evolving. It's you know, it's an ongoing thing. <laughs> you know, you're, you're talking about all this, and it and it's it's uh, it is a lot of work. I mean, true, it may not feel like anything compared to it when you uh, operated as a dairy farmer, but it it obviously takes a lot of preparation, and you've got to keep your knees bent so that you can deal with any event that might come up, um, conditions changing on you. This is all being done for how many visitors? I mean, has this operation grown over the years? Uh, it's it's grown significantly. The first year we were open, we had 325 people that visited the farm, and the admission at that time was $3 a person. And I tell everybody that we needed $975 pretty bad that year. We didn't get to open in 2020 due to 
due to COVID, due to everything that happened in March. <clears throat> but in 2019, we hosted 12,000 guests to the farm over those four weekends. You know, when you talk about having people that you've hired on to help you with this, does that include having people out on the road to direct traffic? I mean, I could suspect that on a nice, bright day, you may have a whole lot of people. Or how do you control uh, the flow of traffic of visitors? We we do. We post no parking signs on one side of the road, so there's only one one way. We can only park on one side of the road because we have to maintain roadways in order to stay legal. We do have parking attendants out on the road at least two depending on how busy the day is, sometimes up to four parking attendants helping direct traffic and make sure everything goes smoothly. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So you mentioned that when you started out, it was, you know, under 400 people, a certain kind of fee. Uh, Now, how would somebody actually uh, purchase a ticket to attend? This year we are expect. This year we're asking that you go to our website, govinsfarm.com, and that you purchase tickets online. We went to timed sales this year so that we can try to control the traffic in and out of the farm and and limit overcrowding early in the morning. Got it, got it. So that's actually uh, like many farmers have had to use technology in an effort to try to deal with both. Well, the growing popularity of your event, I mean, it sounds like people are probably going to come out of the woodwork, I would suspect, John, because we've all been so cooped up that um, we're all going to love an opportunity to see those little farm babies and actually get outside and stretch our legs. But doing it online, you, you mentioned you've got your tickets timed so that you're trying to kind of... Con- or, <clears throat> so, Sylvia, if anybody that's raised children knows how this works. You get up in the morning, you get them fed, and you get out to do whatever you're going to do on Saturday morning, which always created a rush in the morning. Uh. So we're we're trying to sell time, time tickets, and I should add that if you don't have the capability to get online and buy tickets that way, we're not going to turn anybody away from our ticket booths when they get here to the farm. But it's just a way that we can spread out traffic through the day because typically our afternoons have – not been as busy as our mornings ah got it that makes sense so you've been doing this for 16 years Uh, many repeat visitors oh thousands of repeat visitors visitors and now we're getting the second generation oh fun and it's it's so fun to have mom or dad say you know, she's been coming since she was this tall, or he's been coming since they were this tall. And I have customers that come to me and say, I remember when the steel was in the barn. We've been here for every year. We've seen what you've done. And along with that is constant thank yous for hosting it. And, and that is so humbling as an owner that we are thanked continuously for what we do. Well, you've got to be doing a good job to get those kinds of thank yous, John. And, and I look forward to seeing your uh, lambing barn next week. Uh, we're going to try to do our, our Deep Roots Radio live from the lambing barn. If that doesn't work, we will record it and then um, play it as a, 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 a Deep Roots Radio on the road. But that's the attempt. I am so looking forward <laughs> to, to going and seeing your operations, John. You know, you mentioned that you've got this in the spring, and it looks like you have a number of activities throughout 
the the warm season, um, the corn maze and the pumpkins. You've got your the, the lamb, of course, that you sell. Tell me a little bit more about your U-Pick. Our U-Pick is uh, it's a six-acre U-Pick. About half of our production, I would say, is sold as U-Pick. The other half is sold either out of a farm store or we've got two trucks that we set up a stand in Menominee as well as a stand in Eau Claire. And that's typically the middle of June, sometime around Father's Day is when that starts and generally runs two to three weeks. Now, do you also have an event space? At, at another property, we have a wedding venue. We had an opportunity to buy this beautiful old 1900s barn with a beautiful old four-square house on it. So as a, as a way to make a mortgage payment again, we do have an event venue at another property. Jen, I would suspect that lots of farmers listening to this are thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much John has done and is doing. And, you know, I thought I might like to have visitors come to the farm, but I don't even know where to start. What would you say to them, John? I'd well, first I tell them to call me or join the Wisconsin Ag Tourism Association because there's lots of members that would love to help and and mentor and get someone started. Um, talk to your insurance agent and possibly look for a new insurance agent because a lot of the conventional farm insurance policies don't know how to cover events like ours. Another great idea, talk to your banker because you're going to need his help too. Uh, and, and bankers are a very important part of, you know, your your business mm-hmm. your business arrangement. And so, John, so you've talked about the banking, the insurance. What about um, any other kind of, of ordinances? Do they come into play when you're thinking of kind of expanding or doing something like what you do? You know, absolutely they do, and I'm glad you brought that up. At the time that, at the time we, that we started our wedding venue, we actually helped the county rewrite egg tourism zoning ordinances. Uh, if it's strictly a farm, you can do a lot of things, but as you bring more and more people onto your farm, there will be those that feel that you're becoming commercial. Uh, and, and that's a, boy, you gotta make, you're right, you gotta maintain a great relationship with your local governance too. Now, did you have any kind of, um, let's say curiosity from neighboring farms as well we we do have support and curiosity from neighboring farms occasionally you get a disgruntled neighbor that you know is frustrated because you're parking all of your customers on the road or you know and, and those are things that city businesses do regularly as a part of business it's just when this new business model comes out to the country it takes education and and uh, it takes time Right, right. So, John, could you give us your website again so that people can uh, go there and learn more about the upcoming event and also more about your farm? It's govensfarm.com, and the event we're talking about today will be open March 20th and 21st, 27th and 28th, as well as April 2nd and 3rd and the 10th and 11th. And that second and third of April weekend is Easter Sunday. So that's Good Friday and Saturday, but we will be closed on Sunday. Got it. Okay. That's that's good to know. Now, do you ever entertain school groups? You know, that was something that we did 
during the week, but now there are no school groups coming this year because of COVID restrictions. Uh, uh, in the summer, when we're open for strawberry picking, it's a favorite trip of a lot of daycares because uh, we allow daycare groups into the strawberry patch. Got it. You know, I'd like to go back a little bit, uh, John, as we're kind of coming to the end of our time together. Could you kind of uh, let me know uh, the kind of thinking and the kind of uh, action you've taken on your farm as far as COVID uh, recommendations are? Uh, We have added extra wash facilities. There has always been hand sanitizer around the farm, especially in the barn in several locations. This year, of course, everybody's going to be wearing a, a mask, employees as well as expecting the customers to wear a mask. And also there's, you know, part of the event is outside, so there's lots of room to spread out, too. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.